Welcome to the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings, where we debate, discuss, and dive into law-related issues important to all of us. I'm Dave Miranda, past president of the New York State Bar Association and partner at the intellectual property law firm of Heslin, Rothenberg, Farley, and Messier. We're here today on Miranda Warnings with Brenda Berkman. She's a retired captain uh, with the New York City Fire Department where she worked as a firefighter for 25 years. Welcome, Brenda. Thanks, David. Brenda was also the sole plaintiff in a discrimination case against the New York City Fire Department that opened the doors to uh, women firefighters in New York City. Uh, And so you're a real trailblazer, Brenda, and we're very happy to have you here on uh, Miranda Warnings. Take us back now to the 1970s at the time when your... uh, your desire to become a firefighter uh, was involved in in litigation. Uh, I know you wanted to be a firefighter since you were a young girl, uh, but in the 70s you were involved in um, trying to get on to the uh, fire department. Tell us about that. So actually I, I want I first started thinking about becoming a firefighter when I was a young woman rather than a young girl because 1950s and 60s, girls were not encouraged to do very much outside the home except for maybe a nurse or a teacher, um, secretary. People remember what those were. Um, And I was going to college, first in my family, that first generation to go to college in my family, and I thought I was going to be a teacher. Um, But as I was in graduate school, uh, I discovered law, and I had uh, worked in a law firm in the summer, and I thought, this is a great way to achieve social change. As a young person growing up, I really felt very strongly the inequity of between girls and boys. Uh, I was a little tomboy, they used to be called, uh, so I liked sports, but this was all pre-Title IX, and you weren't allowed, girls weren't allowed to sign up for Little League or any of that stuff. We couldn't play hockey, nothing. So it was very frustrating to me as a girl to also be told that, you know, girls are good at English, you know, you're really not so suited for math and science. What a reversal we have, right? Now girls are being encouraged to go into STEM. Um, And so I'm in graduate school, then I get accepted into law school. But all along I had thought, you know, I really would like to do something to serve the community, but also a job that was active. So while I'm in law school, people don't realize that prior to 1977, there was a quota for women firefighters in the New York City Fire Department. And that quota was zero. So if you were an Olympic caliber athlete and you were a woman, you could not even apply to become a firefighter. People also don't realize that many fire departments around the country, paid fire departments, had no physical abilities testing for the position because it was assumed that any guy who applied could be trained to be a firefighter. But women, no women in most cases were allowed to apply anywhere in the country. And that changed in 1977 because the civil, uh, Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act was finally applied 
to municipalities in the early 70s, but the New York City Fire Department had not hired. They hadn't, they, we were in our so-called fiscal crisis. 77, they decide they have to open the test for women, and so they change the physical abilities portion of the exam to make it harder. And instead of it being pass-fail, they made it rank-ordered speed to completion. So about 400 women, including myself, had taken the written exam and passed it. And there was all this publicity about no woman is going to be able to pass this physical exam. It's so hard. And there really wasn't any encouragement at all. There was no preparation for the new uh, women applicants to prepare for any part of the exam, written or physical. And uh, they let us practice it once in the freezing cold out at the training academy. So now when they opened the opportunity for women to take the, the, the written portion mm -hmm. of uh, the firefighters exam, then they changed the physical portion at that point, right, to make it more they, difficult? They did. They, they supposedly had a group of experts who had come in to help them develop the test. Right. And f expert physiologists. And uh, then, and uh, you know, there was other things going on at the same time. West Point was starting to admit women as cadets. And uh, so you would have thought that, that, you know, there would have been some awareness that any kind of test, entry-level test that you develop would have to be job-related. So they took what the experts had advised, and the fire department changed it. Now, we discovered this, of course, during the right, course of later. the lawsuit. Litigation later. Yeah. So, so now you were, uh, you were a practicing attorney at the time. Right. I was in law school. Oh, you were in law school. So I was school. in my okay. final year of law school. And you were? 1977. You were in good shape, right? Because you were a marathon runner? I was a marathon runner. I lifted weights. I did sprints. I, you know, to prepare for the physical abilities portion, I had carried my ex-husband up and down the stairs in our apartment building. You know, I was cross-country skiing, chopping wood, you name it. Right. I was in the best shape of my so life. So you and... What about ninety others passed the written portion, and then you took the well, about four hundred of us passed the written, written but portion. then only about ninety of us showed up to take the physical, physical. abilities portion. And then what happened uh, with those ninety? We all failed, which okay. wasn't uh, surprising. There was a lot of weird things that happened to me personally when I was taking the test. I mean, I was the only woman at the time. I was taking the test that was in this gigantic armory out in Brooklyn with hundreds of guys. You can imagine that you're not going to perform to your highest level when you feel like you're in the fishbowl, everyone's right. looking at you. But even beyond that, um, you know, they made, they had my score incorrectly on a number of events. And at, at one point I had to tell them this is wrong. You know, you saw me go over the eight foot wall. How come you put down that I didn't go over the eight foot wall? I mean, right, crazy stuff. Like stuff. But um, to... But then when I found out that not only that I, I hadn't passed, but none of the 90 women had passed, I thought, this is crazy. I mean, the stuff that they're having us do, like a standing broad jump or go over this eight-foot wall or run a mile in uh, under seven and a half minutes, 
allegedly to test for your aerobic capacity, which running a mile is questionable whether that tests aerobic capacity. Just a little that I knew, I thought this test is vulnerable to not holding up if it's challenged as not being job related. So I went to Laura Sager, who was at that point the head of the women's rights clinic at NYU, where I was a law student. I did not know Laura, and I said, Laura, would you be willing to go with me down to the personnel department and talk to them about revising the test to make it job-related? And we got Bella Abzug, who was a family friend, and we went down Congresswoman there. at Congresswoman the time. Congresswoman Bella yes, Abzug. New York City, yes. And we went down to talk to the head of personnel, and he basically said, forget it, sue us. So I, I convinced Laura that hey, this is going to be a fast case because, uh, you know, it's so obvious that it's not, this test is not job-related and it, obviously it has an adverse impact. Something like, <clears throat> excuse me, something like, I don't know, 60% of the men pass the test and 0% of the women. So there, there you had the, the disparity that you needed to prove according to law. But if the city had been able to show that the test was in fact job related, it wouldn't have mattered that no women passed. It. Right. So Laura, to her credit, got Deborah Voice and Plimpton brought on as co counsel. Now, Deborah Voice had the resources to conduct the kind of enormous case that this became um, with all the expert witnesses and all the testimony that went on for, it, it went before Judge Sifton in the Eastern District. So you District. became a plaintiff in a discrimination <coughs> uh, lawsuit against the New York City So I was department. a sole named class plaintiff. We okay. did not find a, another woman in that group that was willing to attach their name to the lawsuit. Uh, and so the city tried to knock me out as a plaintiff because... They said, I was just a bra-burning feminist. I didn't really want to be a firefighter. I was already a lawyer. Uh, and so... Um, Lawyers are known for putting out fires, right? <coughs> well, uh, my mother didn't understand. So you could understand that a lot of people didn't understand why I was doing this. Right. But I was, I was sincere. I really want to be a firefighter. And I believe that I could be trained to be a firefighter. Now, I was not a complete idiot. I knew that if I couldn't be trained to be a firefighter, then I was not going to take the job because I didn't want to put my life at risk or the public or anybody else at risk. So, But I thought, we can do it. Women can do it. It doesn't have to be this way. So uh, Judge Sifton was not initially too friendly to our arguments. Um, to his credit, listened to the evidence and changed his mind about the job-relatedness of the test. But he did make me get on the witness stand and testify under oath that if I won my lawsuit, I'd quit my practice of law and become a New York City firefighter, which I did in when I won my lawsuit in 1982. So, so by 1982, you had already been practicing then for, for a few years. About four years, years right. yeah. And, uh, so you won the lawsuit. I uh, won the lawsuit. Uh, and uh, the basis was of it was that the physical abilities test was not uh, job-related. Right. So the city had to go back and use incumbent male firefighters to develop the new test, which then about, oh, more than 40 women passed. 
And um, so all 400. Including you. Including me. Right. So all 400 of the women who had passed the written exam were eligible to take the new physical abilities exam. And of that number, about more than 40 went into the fire academy. But really winning the lawsuit was only the beginning of what became a real struggle to break down a lot of barriers and resistance to women. And, you know, I was just asked to participate in the Bar Association's um, con uh, conference this year to talk about implicit bias. But certainly for the first 10 years of our careers, the uh, explicit bias was really quite severe. So not only did I get death threats, both prior to and after I won the lawsuit, death threats to my home, people following me around, threatening me. So you win the lawsuit. Win the lawsuit. Against the fire department. Yes. You take the test again. They pass revise it. the test because of your lawsuit. Mm -hmm. You take it. You pass it along with 40 other people. Right. And then you now go into the program to become a firefighter, and you're saying you were not greeted entirely with not open warmly. arms. Not yeah. No. Right. Uh, Women as as well as men. I mean, you know, it was considered ridiculous. You know, we were made fun of for even thinking that we could possibly be firefighters, not just by our male coworkers. You know, the city really did nothing to prepare the men or the women for this kind of sea change mm. uh, in the culture, the organizational culture. Uh, in fact, they the union... Uh, continued to uh, oppose our coming in, uh, even after the city had thrown in the towel. And, um, they they did not take the appeal up to the Supreme Court. The the city, the union did, and they lost. Uh, they didn't. They weren't granted cert. But the union, our union, I'm a strong union person, kept saying things like, uh, "Oh, you know, the women are going to get people killed," and blah blah blah, right. uh, which has never happened, of course. But that kind of thing, we were made fun of at, uh, in the newspapers and uh, at various kinds of, uh, you know, events. Um, what about internally on the job when you were, you know, you obviously made it in and you were actually working as yeah. a firefighter? Well, so what the kind first of thing that happened, there? Yeah, the first thing that happened was it was really open season on us um, hmm. at the uh, fire academy. Some of the instructors who did not agree with the court decision decided it was going to be their uh, opportunity to um, make us quit or get us injured. Uh, you know, I'm not exaggerating this. Um, there's, a, there's a documentary called Taking the Heat, which PBS released in 2006. And actually, the documentary kind of plays down the, uh, the amount of discrimination that occurred. But, you know, they we were... It, it was really terrible, and what was shocking to me was that almost none of the women in the academy quit. Now, a few got fired out of the academy, three of whom then challenged their firing out of the academy, and, and years later won that lawsuit. But most women just, you know, kept their heads down. We'd, we were aware that what was going on with us was wrong, but there, we really didn't have a voice. So I decided we had to form an organization uh, to, to help each other and protect each other. And so I convinced the women in the academy in that first class 
that we would be the United Women Firefighters. Hmm. Um, so that was our organization, and uh, we went to the department, and the first thing was, well, you can't be president of the organization. You're only a probationary firefighter. And I'm like, but we don't have any women that are anything but, pro I mean, you know, nuts. Um, so we had a really difficult time in the academy. But then when we graduated, and that was unusual, uh, and the idea that people would get fired out of the academy was just sort of unheard of. Right. How Very long was rare. that? How long was so that? So in those days, period? it was only about six weeks. Six but weeks. some of the women, not me, but some of the women had to repeat the course over and over. And the thing, they repeated it twice. So the thing that was really hard out there, too, was the fact that they kept changing the rules. So when we first went in, you had to do such and such to graduate. But then every day, it seemed like there was a new rule. And they were talking to me because I was the sole named class plaintiff and because uh, I was a, the new president of the organization. So you had a little bit of a bullseye on you. I, I really yeah. had a bullseye on me. And I knew this was going to happen right. because right. I had seen what had happened with women police officers who had complained about ill treatment and things where there was retaliation against uh, women who dared to stick their head up above and, right. and complain about anything, you know. Um, so you went through the the uh, academy training mm -hmm. period, and then you actually became a firefighter probationary. Right. So but we went out into the firehouses, and they only sent us to medium to busy firehouses, not slow firehouses. Okay. Which was fine. Right. That's what that's what we wanted, but then we were only one fire, one, one woman firefighter per battalion. I see. And so you never almost never saw another woman. Um, and as I said, the guys were like completely unprepared for us coming in. So we didn't even have equipment that fit us. We, our boots were falling off, they were too big. We didn't have, nothing fit. Gloves didn't fit, nothing fit. Then what about like locker rooms for changing and No locker rooms for changing, you know, no privacy, no private privacy in the bathrooms. Some mm. of the firehouses would have like a slide lock on the bathroom door, but, um, some of the guys would rip that off, or it was really not great. But again, people, the women were had in their heads, all right, we're going to put up with this. When we finish our probationary period in a year, right. we'll, we'll be okay. You know, um, they can torture us a little bit now, but, you know, what typically happens is when you finish your probationary period, even though you're not senior, a lot of the nonsense they what they called hazing. Honestly, it was not hazing. What happened to us was way beyond hazing. Uh, it was harassment. So it would go on and on and on. And it was not all of the guys. But the fire service is very peer influenced. What, what job isn't? Right. And so the thing, but one of the things that makes it different from, say, some other jobs, like maybe kindergarten teacher, is that the job of firefighting is identified with your masculinity. So the fact that women, lesser, women are as good as guys, uh, can somehow do this job undercuts your whole sense of yourself. And For some men, you're for saying. For some men. Right. And 
and they and and the fire department thought it was going to be the older guys that had the big problem, but actually it was a lot of the guys who had about five years on the job, and even our even our uh, peers, the guys who had exactly the same amount of time as us, sometimes they they didn't get it. <laughs> they they thought they could just harass us too. Right. So you went through the probationary period, you well, went through the year, and then, and then what happened at the end of the probationary period? So at the end of the probationary period, the, the, the department fired the two most publicly prominent of the women, myself and this other woman named Zeta Gonzalez. Uh, now she's Zeta Rivera. Zeta and I, Zeta had had a New York uh, Magazine cover story about her. So people knew her name, people knew my name, of course, and uh, they fired the two of us. And the, the really bad thing about them, about them doing that was the fact that Zeta and I were consistently rated according to the fire department's own rating systems on every physical test that they gave the women. We were always in the top three. So to tenure the other women and fire us, so the so so that's the, where my law training really came some in of the handy. Other, so some so most of the other women actually that made it through the class were made it through the probationary period. Uh, yes, and except you yes. and uh, the other except high, for me and Zeta, Zeta and, the high profile. and we got fired. And the way we found out we were getting fired was we reported they had sent us back to the training academy for reevaluation, and we came in one day for our our reevaluation period and the guy at the house watch desk the the door said to us you're getting fired today and we said how do you know and he said it's in the daily news i mean that's how you find so zeta who is not a lawyer (laughs) um got understandably really upset because i knew something about retaliation cases I was convinced that we were going to get our jobs back. So while it was embarrassing, it was upsetting to me, you know, I know that I was, you know, went home and cried about it. But I I really firmly believed we were going to get our jobs back. And they had made up some reason, right, about why you shouldn't continue yeah, they, on, right? Like you claimed, couldn't handle the you know, water nozzle or- Well, they right. had, then we had to have a whole nother trial right. before Judge Sifton. So it went back to the same judge? Went back was to Judge Was that by Sifton. chance or was directed back to him? No, no, he, he kept the case. He kept the case. He kept the okay. case. So the judge that found that there was discrimination uh, and forced the fire department to change a rule, and you went through, they fired the lead plaintiff, you, and then- Goes back to the same judge. Goes back to the same judge. And then they have to come in and support the, you know, the rationale for their firing. So they brought in our officers, our supervisors. And, uh, and you know, one of my lieutenants lied under oath. So the city's attorney had to come in the day after he testified and say, you know, he lied under oath. I mean, he had been keeping notes on me. This is also very unusual right and so he'd been keeping notes on me and at one point he had written that I had done a a really good job on the nozzle at a difficult fire and then then he decided well by keeping these notes he could support getting me fired the fire commissioner had called the captains of the firehouses with where the women were down to his office and said to them if you can find a reason for firing these women at the end of their probationary period, I will support you. Mm. 
So there was a lot of incentive for these uh, officers to, uh, to write bad stuff about us. Um, and again, you know, the women were being subjected to standards that really weren't being applied to the men. And, and so I, I was convinced that uh, Zeta and I were going to get our jobs back, but we had to wait a couple of months before we won that case. And then the judge found what that the that the the, the that we've been retaliated you. against for our, you know, being the first me the named class plaintiff, but also a you know representative of the women uh, Zeta's you know. And so as a result of that second lawsuit, now you're put put back on the you're back on the force. Well, yeah, but then we had to go back out to the academy again and be reevaluated this time with a couple of battalion chiefs who were watching what was going on. I see. And they, um, to their credit, were, I'm I'm sure they were under a lot of pressure to give us the thumbs down, but to their credit, they said that we had passed all the, you know, new tests that we were beginning. And you had actually been on the job, though, so you were performing firefighter functions, uh, and how were you doing? I was... I was like any other rookie, you know, right. I was learning the job and uh, it, and I, I'm not going to minimize how difficult it was for me to be in the fishbowl all the time. I mean, my first tour, the media showed up at the firehouse and they weren't allowed to interview us. So what they do, they followed us around to every, mm. every run that we went on and filmed me as I was, you know, the women were subjected to this enormous pressure. And, and there were people within our companies or within the department who were really looking to have us fail. So they would do things to us that were not the norm. Um, and I, I knew this was going to happen. I just really did not understand fully, I guess, how, the level to which this would rise. Neither did my attorneys. And we also didn't realize, I don't think, that how important it was to tell the story in a way that the public could understand that we were not lowering the standards and and trying to get you know women on the job no matter what we were asking for a fair opportunity right. and and so one thing i did regret was not learning more about how to speak to the media now that's not saying that we actually would have been able to do very much you know it's like getting women's suffrage the women who first started asking for the vote for women were regarded as total nutcases. And it took more than 72 years, 72 is often the number said, but it took a, a long time before the right. public started to come around to the idea. And so the panel that I was on at this, at this conference, this meeting was um, talking about implicit bias. So for the women firefighters, a lot of the really terrible stuff, the draining of our air tanks and messing with our protective gear, the, you know, threatening to push us off the roof, that kind of stuff has tamped down. I'm not saying it has gone away entirely. And that's the, but that's explicit bias. That's, that's not the, the explicit right, bias. But what we were talking about at the panel, which your audience can go on the website and listen to from a variety of perspectives, is implicit bias and you know we're not saying that and we're saying that that affects everybody of course so you think and including ourselves 
So women, you know, we were brought up to be nicey-nice and, and uh, you know, meek and mild. And some of us push back against that. And the implicit bias is more the, the thought process that were that you're just describing that women can't do certain jobs there Still. there's not any sort of overt uh bias or discrimination but in the mindset you're 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 categorizing uh, a gender in in a particular category of things that they can and can't do which is just uh, implicitly S- still wrong. still women right. are thought of you know of course i am not saying nobody is saying all women should become firefighters. We're not saying that all men should become firefighters. Of course, right. But, you know, there's still, both within women and, and men, there's still this attitude of, you know, women are just lesser. And uh, it, we got women astronauts. You got women running for president. You know, all these myths about what women can and cannot do. Well, we do. just, I mean, today we there was the Ruth Shapiro Award that was offered, and the recipient talked about how her time in law school, she wanted to be a litigator, and, you know, one of her professors told her, well, you know, that's not really be, uh, appropriate. Domestic for, relations. That's not really appropriate <laughs> for women. She yeah. said that not only did she become a litigator, but ended up, became, you know, becoming a, a judge and, and very well regarded. So... That's the type of, you know, less overt type of yeah, uh, and bias and I that know that seeing. that you honored Rosalind Richter. Yes, Rosalind, she won yeah. the award. Yeah, yeah. That's and what we're talking so about. so Rosalind, I think at one point was a hearing officer for the fire department. I, her name definitely right. rings a bell, and I can't remember if I was before her or not. Um, maybe because at one point, uh, Zeta got got physically abused at work and uh and i and we had to have a hearing a disciplinary hearing about the officer who did that um so you know there was this went on for and continues to go on so, actually so so you win the second lawsuit you're back on the force or the fire mm-hmm. de- fire fire department and then you know a couple of years now over a year has gone by so you're getting another class of of new entrants no. into the fire department. So what happens? What happens then? So what happened is after the city was really shocked that so many women had passed this new revised physical. Right. And so they went back and revised it again. Mm. And the next time around, uh, the women did not fare so well. So then <laughs> Judge Sifton uh, he says, well, you know, you, you and your lawyers are experts at this now. You need to challenge the uh the new test again and so we did but you know now the culture was changing there was definitely pushback against uh women's rights you know a lot of people had thought phyllis schlafly but a lot of people had thought that women had gone too far you know this this stuff about women being equal to men, and that, you know, the ERA kind of hit a dead end, right? Right. All this stuff was going on, including in the courts. So, you know, there was, we were not happy with Judge Sifton's decision in the new, on the new physical, nor was the city. But while this was all going on, you know, women were not getting hired. And then this test was upheld basically, um, 
and then women were not, they were passing it, but they weren't scoring high enough to actually be hired by the job. So we went another 10 years before the next woman was hired. And then we went, I don't know how many years after that, maybe another five or so, before the next three women were hired. So this, I know (laughs) your technician's shaking his head. Yes, how how nuts is this? But we still are at the point in the New York City Fire Department. So we had your class, right, where there were 40. 40, And then another 15 years, you only had four more. One. Yeah, yeah. 15, you had four more. And meanwhile, there's 11,000 firefighters. Right. So even today, we just broke the 100 barrier. Hmm. And that was really only the result of the Vulcan lawsuit. The black firefighters went in and sued again about the test. And as a result of their lawsuit, some of the women benefited from that. So now we were able to, because women were retiring, okay? So by the time of 9-11, there were only about 25 women still on the job because they had reached the 20-year mark, uh, my class, and they could retire. And, and you stayed in, right? And you moved up the ranks. You became a lieutenant and uh, eventually a captain in the fire department. I did. Where you, and I you did. ended up putting in 25 years of, of service with the fire department. Yeah. Right? And I, I was really, um, despite all the things that were happening to me, I was really lucky in a couple of respects. One was I had an extremely dedicated team of lawyers who stuck with me through thick and thin, and the other women, you know, the advantage I had was I knew what was going on with the law, and so I could talk to them in in terms that they understood. But but they were fantastic for me. I had a network of friends. I had the other women firefighters. But I also looked for support from really all around the globe. So the fact that my own department considered me a pariah forced me to go outside my department for, for, um, for opportunities. And, and that worked out as right. it was. I, you know, I became a White House fellow. I got to travel around the world. I got to sit on all different kinds of committees. I, I was uh, the chair of, uh, you know, the president of the board of the National Organization for Women Firefighters. So good stuff happened. You know, I was able to make things happen um, despite my own department's opposition, right? And I, you know, so now you're retired. You're, Hooray! I know you're very proud of <laughs> you're proud of your work, though. Certainly, you're you're sitting here today in your uh, FDNY uh, sweatshirt, and I I know you're proud of your career, and you have every uh, r- right to be very courageous and groundbreaking for 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 women uh, in the fire department. But now you're working on another project. It's called Monumental Women. Uh, here in New York City that uh, uh, is also very important. Uh, and tell us about that. So actually my training is in history. So I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in American history, and I've always been interested in history. And I w- I've always been particularly uh, focused on how women have been erased from history. And so when... Uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Central Park because, as a runner. What I did not realize was that there were only five statues of real women in all of New York City and none in Central Park. So for, for the first time in the 167-year history of Central Park, uh, monumental women, this 
all-volunteer group that I'm a board member of is going to be putting a statue of three real women's rights pioneers, Sojourner Truth, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and Susan B. Anthony, in Central Park to be unveiled on August 26th, 2020, this year, everybody's invited to the unveiling, the 100th anniversary of the enactment of the 19th Amendment granting women the right to vote. And we are really honored and excited to be able to do this. We, we raised $2 million in private funds from over a 1,000 individual donors and all kinds of foundations, and like New York Life Foundation and Ford Foundation, and it is going to be fantastic. So people who want to participate, um, see what we're up to, because we also have an education campaign around, uh, around women's history, and we also have a, uh, a challenge to municipalities, including New York, to put more statues of women and people of color in our public spaces. But this particular statue, is fantastic, and uh, I think everyone's going to agree it's going to be a great addition to public art. So it's called Monumental Women, right. and uh, you can learn more about it at monumentalwomen.org. Uh, and uh, Brenda, I want to thank you for being on Miranda Warnings. I want to thank you for your courage and your perseverance in uh, moving the ball forward uh, in in the fire department and I think for, for women all over. So thank you very much for that. These are obviously very, you know, serious topic. We have kind of a lighthearted feature called Music Book or Movie where you can share any, uh, any kind of artistic performance that you might want to with our listeners. Well, I would say that uh, the... Um the Metropolitan Museum is putting on The Mother of Us All, which is uh, uh, Gertrude Stein, and I'm trying to remember who the composer is, uh, opera about uh, Susan B. Anthony. So mm. that's coming up, and I'm looking forward to seeing that. And other than, you know, read about women's history. There's, there's uh, so many books coming out about women's suffrage, including the new one by Ellen Du Bois. And Monumental Women is sponsoring a, uh, a forum with her on January 27th at the Ford Foundation. It's free and open to the public. People can sign up for that and read, uh, you know, read a book about women's suffrage. Well, Brenda Berkman, thank you very much. Thanks, uh, you David. continue to be a trailblazer. Thank you. Thanks for. Thanks for listening to Miranda Warnings. I encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to Miranda Warnings, a NISBA podcast available on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.